Hello, and welcome to an episode of the Citing Africa podcast. I'm Joanna Puricel. I'm a postgraduate student in international development and the LSE. And today I'm joined by my really good friend and fellow student at the LSE, Nick Muller. Hi, Nick. Hey, Joanna. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Me too, especially since today we're looking at hegemonic institutions in African development as we explore the World Bank. And to introduce the topic, more specifically, today we'll be looking at the Country Policy and Institutional Assessment, or the CPA score. For context, CPAs are carried out annually and are used to determine the allocation of concessional loans and grants by its IDA aid facilities, whose majority of resources go to Africa. The score is based on what the bank considers to be ideal policies and institutional qualities. And the rationale here is kind of like the higher scoring countries can use aid more effectively. For some additional detail on the score, it consists of a scoring of 16 criteria across four groups, economic management, structural policies, policies for social inclusion, and finally public sector and institutions, which is often termed the governance cluster. It is important to note that this governance cluster is more than eight and a half times more important than any other group when using the CBIA score for IDA allocation. In terms of the CBIA's rise, power, and popularity, is likely reached its pinnacle given its impact on IDA loan distribution. However, it has shifted over time, shifting its emphasis away from Washington consensus policies and towards a focus on good governance. Despite its power, rankings used by the World Bank are currently and clearly under close scrutiny as evidenced by the recent scandal and demise of the bank's doing business report. The index also has many criticisms, which we'll discuss today in further detail, with some suggesting that the index should be scrapped altogether. Well, nominally just the score, it is clear that the CPA is much more than that as it touches on many aspects of development. Today, we're very fortunate to be speaking with two prominent scholars in African development. We have the honor to be speaking with Eric Thorbecker, Howard Edward Babcock, Professor of Economics Emeritus at Cornell University, whose contributions to development economics and to the field of multidimensional poverty have been truly monumental and have continued to inspire generations of academics and policymakers. Professor, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. I would also like to introduce our other guests. We also have the privilege to be joined by Dr. Yusi Uyang, Associate Professor of Economics at the University of Tesla, whose exceptional work has involved using cross-country data to study the interrelationships among poverty, growth, and inequality in Sub-Saharan Africa. Hi, Yusi. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. My pleasure. And so I'd like to get us started today. Could you please give us both an update on the research, recent research that you have conducted? The main form that my uh, research took was to look at the uh, interrelationship among uh, uh, growth, inequality, and poverty. Um, think of a triangle where you have growth as uh, one of the corners, uh, inequality at another, and poverty as a third one. They are all interrelated. And uh, I think the essential question, the fundamental question from the standpoint of uh, Africa today um, is to grow in a more inclusive way, uh, in a way that uh, uh, reduces poverty much more than it has in the past, uh, that uh, if possible reduces uh, uh, inequality. 
So that really has been the, uh, the focus of my research. Uh, and um, I just completed a year ago uh, a very big project exactly on this uh, topic. And we expect to have a uh, special issue of world development devoted to uh, uh, this uh, question. Amazing, amazing. Um, I would also like to ask you in relating in relation to your latest paper that you have very kindly shared with us, uh, we managed to have a look a bit of the findings and everything that uh, has been explained uh, about sort of like the spiral relationship between uh, poverty reduction and growth. And given the findings um, of the paper that, you know, faster growth contributes to faster poverty reduction in less developed countries in general, but not so much in Sub-Saharan Africa, where the reverse is applicable, that is faster poverty reduction is linked to faster growth. And now having looked a bit more into CPIA and generally given your knowledge about IDA and the World Bank, what do you think the World Bank and IDA specifically can do to support that? Okay, so so my uh, my my answer would be that uh, 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 given the the size and the resources available at mm -hmm. the World Bank, given the quality of uh, its experts uh, of its staff, uh, the World Bank, of course, has a uh, a very very important role to fulfill. Mm -hmm. Having said that. Um, I, I really am quite doubtful that uh, CPIAs uh, can have a, uh, a major role in the development of Africa. M maybe I'm putting it too strongly. Uh, they certainly do have a role, uh, but I think it, it is a limited role. There are so many other um, elements, so uh, uh, many other factors, variables, uh, policies, institutions um, that uh, can play a, uh, a more important uh, role. I, I don't think I'm unfair in saying that the evidence um, um, is such that uh, CPIAs can play a, a role, but not a major role in the uh, development of Africa. I think that's that's a, a, a great transition here to, to you know to begin discussing a bit more about mm -hmm. the structure of the CPIA um, and maybe to play devil's advocate a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, we we read your 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 joint article. You know, is Sub-Saharan Africa finally catching up? Looking at African growth rates mm -hmm. uh, in the twenty first century, um, you point out that governance was a driver of, of recent African growth and improvement in government governance. The CPIA, as we know, puts a high degree of weighting on kind of good governance measures of, of countries, um, the quality of their public institutions and whatnot. Um, what do you think of this as a potential driver kind of of growth in Africa? The fact that the CPIA is kind of intended to promote uh, better governance in Africa and thus growth. No, no and, 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 and I agree with, uh, with your take on it. Uh, uh, clearly the, uh, the intent of uh, CPIAs is to uh, reward uh, good uh, intentions, uh, good uh, governance, mm -hmm. uh, 
to what extent um, it uh, looks at the uh, uh, progress, we, we know that it doesn't really, uh, that the uh, uh, CPI index does not include any uh, outcome variables, but in an indirect way, the experts who uh, uh, determines the, uh, the rating, and incidentally, uh, um, I think one of the big weakness of uh, the CPIA is that it's an attempt at converting a highly multidimensional uh, concept into a scalar value, into just one number. Um, and that's always very risky because the, uh, it tends to be extremely arbitrary. It depends on uh, uh, which variables you use. Uh, um, it depends on the weighting scheme. Uh, it ignores uh, um, any possibility of substitutability among mm -hmm. the different variables in the CPIA. One uh, variable could compensate for another one. It ignores the, the multiplicative effects of, of uh, uh, measures that reinforce one another. So anyway, it has all of the weakness of uh, a, uh, an attempt at converting something which is multidimensional into uh, just a, uh, a, a one, uh, one number. Now, having, having said that, um, it's, it's difficult to come up with a, uh, an alternative, which would be better because the, the World Bank does have, have uh, uh, expertise. Uh, the raiders uh, are people who uh, presu presumably know the countries, know uh, Africa, but certainly it seems to me that more work could be done on improving the quality of the methodology that leads to the CPIA. So one of my recommendations would be to uh, to take uh, to revisit the methodology of the CPIA and see to what extent it uh, it can be improved. Um, I've always felt that a uh, a dashboard approach uh, would be better, where you look at many variables, including outcome variables, before making a uh, a, a decision. But again. Um, it all depends on uh, how uh, good the evaluators are, or the evaluators are. So you can't eliminate the, uh, the subjective element. But again, I, I would be very careful not to use one number to catch, to capture something which is so multidimensional. Definitely. I mean, I think that captures the criticism quite well. And I'll, I'll let uh, UC um, continue on that if you'd like. Yeah, Nick, I heard you. I think one thing you're trying to say is, uh, you know, if all the lending groups are focusing and using heavily the CPIA score to decide on whether they are going to give concessional loans, then maybe perhaps all these borrowing countries will try to behave a little better. They will discipline themselves a little better so that end of the day, in order to get more concessional loans, they will behave better. I mean, I, I totally think that's um, in theory possible, but then in reality, if you think about how this is a arbitrary 
indicator or scoring, you know, from the selection of the criteria to the actual reading process. It is annually conducted by World Bank staff member. And these staff member came from all sorts of background, culturally, economically, you know, historically, even politically and religiously. Now, these people, even if they do know the some of the African countries well enough, how much do they know, you know, about the countries they are giving ratings? And based on all these, you know, biases and arbitrariness, you are assigning rating. At the end of the day, you have, you know, ratings for multiple ratings on multiple criteria for one country, and you do an unweighted average. I mean, this is too much, you know, uh, arbitrariness, and also it covers so much details and nuances uh, that it's hard for you to say, hey, you know, uh, African countries, you know, they, they really, I mean, it's hard for you to imagine uh, they could be so responsive to such a scoring, even though in principle, we hope this is going to happen, but we really do not know because even the ratings are arbitrary to begin with. Now, I do have a little something to add on the unweighted average thing, because just this morning, I stumbled upon a literature where two World Bank economists are defending CPIA, and they emphasize how the choice of the criteria has been, you know, removed, modified and, you know, kind of evaluated all the time. They also talk about how the unweighted rate, you know, unweighted average is actually a good thing because they said at the end of the day, statistical analysis does show that even if we determine weights of the different criteria using a statistical approach and come up with a statistically assigned weighting, end of the day, it's going to be the same. So they are defending. We have defenders of CPIA, but no one could really ignore the arbitrariness in this one single scalar variable. And then in, indeed, I remember in one of the communications Professor Thorbeck had with another leading expert in the field, you know, the email exchanges, I think it's Professor Tarp, he did make it clear that he felt that there is really little link between uh, CPIA scoring and improved governance in Africa. Then, of course, maybe we need more research on this and in this regard to really come back with a more clear answer. But for now, we don't feel very, I do not feel very optimistic. Finally, I want to offer a little anecdote. I was in Kenya two years ago for a workshop. I met one woman. She's a scholar from Nigeria, which is one of the countries that receives the largest amount of IDA concessional loans in the year of 2021. I asked her about the allocation of late aids in her country, and I ask whether the policymakers in the country behaved a little bit better because of this. And she said, no, it's a perfect breeding ground for corruption. Now we've got all those loans. We just cook the book, you know, pretend we are doing well when the World Bank people are here to visit us. When they are inspecting us, we try to behave. We pretend we are behaving very well. But end of the day, the money are just squandered and wasted and allocated in all sorts of wrong ways. And this is from someone who's in that country. Hopefully, that kind of uh, shed some light. I mean, that's, that's an amazing anecdote. Go ahead, Professor. I mean, one of my concerns is that uh, at the present time, the uh, uh, intent really is to uh, reward countries that are doing uh, well, that are doing well, at least in terms of uh, following what the World Bank considers to be desirable policies and 
and the uh, um, the setting up of uh, institutions that uh, um, are pro uh, pro growth. Um, so so that, that that I understand. But again, and and I tend to repeat myself here. Um, there are a number of countries that um, are in, in a very, very poor situation, not only from the standpoint of uh, standard of uh, living, but from the standpoint of uh, um, not being very democratic, uh, um, not, uh, not progressing. Um, and is there any possibility to uh, uh, help those countries. I mean, that, uh, and I don't know what the answer is. And, and I think uh, it, it would indeed be, uh, be risky, but I think one can, one can possibly find examples of countries that were able to turn around with a kind of a big push, a big uh, aid uh, push. Uh, and a big technical assistance uh, push. I mean, the, um, we all know that the key to development is to come up with uh, uh, institutions that are inclusive, uh, that uh, are progressive, uh, that are democratic. And, and in some instances, a big aid push might be able to be the trigger that starts these countries on a uh, on a new path, and again, I'm raising this as a question, um, but I think it might be worthwhile uh, taking certain risks. And given the present uh, uh, methodology used in allocating concessional aid, uh, these countries are not eligible. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. I mean, I think this sums up really well the criticism and whether such scoring should be more need-based or performance-based is really debatable. Um, Dr. Uyang, where would you sit on this debate? And also, where would you sit on alternatives from improvement, such as potentially adding outcome variables? Yeah, I agree with Professor. I think we uh, we definitely it's worth the risk, you know, to try the big aid push. That's um, you know, I, I really think because I think it's apparent that the past Washington consensus and the past you know strategies of promoting growth and then tackling poverty reduction has not really been very successful. Growth has been ticking up. If you look at per capita growth rate, African countries has been doing much better after the beginning of the millennium since the beginning of you know. 2000. But then if you look at the poverty reduction, the, the absolute poverty, you know, uh, population living in poverty increased rather than decreased. So I really do think it's time for a shift of paradigm. And then, you know, among this, or, or we, part of the shift might be to try a more uh, progressive, more maybe, you know, uh, drastic way of, you know, in terms of big aid push, that's one of it. And I think it's worth the risk. I agree, even though I really do not know, you know, if we have empirical evidence supporting, but it's worth a try. It's 
especially because what we have already tried failed to promote poverty as much as we would like to, to promote poverty reduction as much as we would like to. Now, going looping back to uh, Iona's question. So you asked about, you know, how to improve CPIA scoring. What are some of the potentials there? And you mentioned outcome variables, which Professor Thorbeck also mentioned. Now, I do want to share one thing that I read uh, when I'm preparing for this interview in terms of the criteria. Why are we excluding outcome variables? Now, the CPIA scoring has been introduced as early as 1977. And then in the following one decade, it does include outcome variable and performance quality of governance variable, both. But then in 1994, there is an almost a drastic shift of, you know, that they changed the criteria. They promoted the number of criteria from three to 20, and now, of course, in the years after, it reduced it to, to 16 with a little bit of uh, a modification and a re-evaluation. But then in this shift of 1994, they almost decided to exclusively focus on the quality of governance in terms of how good are the policies and institutions in this one country so that these policies and institutions will be fostering poverty allevi alleviation. So, why do they do that? I couldn't find a specific and a clear answer about why they are excluding outcome variables. What I know is for now, they are not thinking of adding it back. And they emphasize we evaluate policies and institutions and then not the outcome. And we are also not taking much account into the potentials and intentions. You know, they talked about how most of the time a country promising to improve their governance would not be taken into consideration when they are assigned a rating. So that's about the outcome variable. Why are we excluding them? Are we bringing them back? And I would say, you know, why, why not? But I cannot be too sure without, you know, more research on what are the positive sides of bringing them back. And if you ask me what to bring back, certainly some of the things Iona mentioned, poverty reduction definitely is a thing. And then also finally, I remember Iona, you asked about, you know, should it be, should aid allocation be performance-based or should it be need-based? Now, performance-based allocation strategy is a World Bank invention. Uh, it's not all the other institutions, for example, aid channeled through the UN. They are not, you know, uh, based on a single performance-based, uh, you know, a single performance score. It's not, it does not have to be, and it is not always the case, even though the World Bank has been so powerful and influential that you tend to think, hey, maybe that's the only way to go. But indeed, we, we could be and we should have allocation criteria to be rather than per performance-based. I think they should be need-based, especially for the so-called poorest countries on earth. That's my take of it. I just wanted to, I just wanted to add one, one point, mm -hmm. um, which is that uh, um, you asked earlier uh, what some of our recent uh, research findings were. And, and I really do believe that we made a, uh, a, a strong case for um, trying to reduce poverty directly. In other mm -hmm. words, uh, not uh, necessarily through growth, which takes time, but having projects such as social protection schemes, uh, 
infrastructure schemes that uh, require a lot of unskilled uh, workers that reduce poverty right away because we feel that there is a link, there's a causal link from poverty reduction today to higher growth and more inclusive growth tomorrow. Yeah. Now, again, uh, the, the evidence that we have uh, needs uh, to be further confirmed. I mean, it's, but I do think it is quite strong. And if, if this evidence uh, and this causal link from poverty reduction today to greater and more inclusive growth tomorrow um, is valid, then what it means is that in the choice uh, of uh, um, concessional aid, in, in the choice of the projects that concessional aid would support, it would make sense to emphasize as much as possible uh, institutions as well as policies using this concessional aid to reduce poverty today as much as possible. So that, that would be my, uh, the, the one point I would add to Ioana's uh, um, uh, uh, earlier question. Should we then move on to the next point yeah. from? To go on to our next question, you know, one of the ideas that we were kind of exploring in looking into CPIA was the concept that the CPIA index and through the, through the World Bank is a hegemonic institution in African development in the sense that the scoring determines aid and aid is the primary source of external funding for most countries. Yeah. And indirectly, um, while aid obviously comes from many bilateral sources today, mm -hmm. the, the CPIA and the, the presence of the World Bank on the ground sets the kind of agenda in part for bureaucrats in addition to you know their own kind of local political constraints. So it is, we believe it is a hegemonic institution in African development. Um, we were wondering if you thought if you thought the same, but I guess to ask a bit more of a complex question is, is this a potentially positive thing? If, if the CPIA and the World Bank are hegemonic, do you think then it represents an institution that can make these changes that we've discussed? Please go ahead, Dr. Young. Yeah, uh, Nick, I mean, first of all, I agree with you. I think it's hegemonic. I mean, after you read all the literature, I agree with you. I think it is. I mean, it's just uh, how I feel. But then can the World Bank change? Of course they can. The problem is whether they will, you know, whether they will. If you read the literature, they are very defensive on their invention of whatever kind, including CPIA. So uh, their dominance, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, ideologically and also in practice, you know, the, their way is the best way, their ideas is the best ideas. It actually does worry me a little bit, you know, even though Professor Thorbeck has said, you know, he wouldn't be as worried, but I do feel like, you know, we would, we should encourage more um, bilateral aids, you know, we should encourage more, you know, that the two parties involved striking up conditions for giving loans and how much to give and how much concessions to offer, you know, I, I do feel like we need more of those. Now, 
I also want to quickly mention one thing that I forgot to mention, but related to, you know, the, the performance-based strategy. It's uh, absolutely, you know, I just all of a sudden recalled one article I read by uh, Professor Nancy Chen and other some co-authors of hers. I don't know where she is right now. When I was reading the paper, she was with Brown University, and she had one article where she and her co-authors looked at uh, you know, American aid, Chinese aid, uh, and Indian aid. They looked at the aid's efficacy or impact on local governance in the African countries receiving these aids. And then funny enough, you know, her research came back to suggest that American aids, which is based on the performance of the loan receiving country, emphasize whether they are building up a good business environment, emphasizing all those, you know, performance and, and Chinese aid as well. They realized or they found the performance-based strategy or way of allocating aids came back to breed corruption and corrupt African minds because local institutions quality worsened after or you know, following these aids. On the one hand, you have better performance, but on the other hand, you know, the quality of governance you know, it's, it's not really improving, rather it worsened. On the other hand, they said, oh, Indian AIDS actually improved the quality of institution, promoted good institution in the receiving countries. Of course, specifically how and why depends on the country and the context, and it's not discussed in the paper. But then really, you know, I think we do, we should change the performance-based only kind of strategy. We should look and encourage for the more need-based and alternative way of allocating aids, because otherwise we are punishing the poorer countries. The poorer you are, the less likely for you to perform well to receive what you desperately needed to begin with. So yeah, I hope I answered the question. I felt like I'm repeating myself, but I, I hope I do uh, answer at least a part of your question, Nick. No, thanks a lot. I think I think repetition is helpful in, in understanding kind of this complex and, and multifaceted, uh, um, you know, issue, um, issue for the World Bank and, and development today. Um, and hopefully, you know, further research by by us and, your, and yourselves and, and you know other scholars uh, in the development field uh, can continue to shape um, kind of the thinking of the World Bank. Uh, and other multilateral institutions to kind of kind of more effective aid, and I think that's that's what we're all kind of interested in at the end of the day. Indeed, thank you for having me and giving me the chance to learn <laughs> from you and also from the literature. It, 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 no, it was a, a real pleasure, and I congratulate you uh, for uh, really conducting a. Uh, uh, a, a, a very interesting, I think, a, a, a very important uh, mm -hmm. um, issue, and, and uh, trying to uh, um, improve uh, the uh, um, allocation of concessional aid. I think this is a, uh, a very worthwhile goal. Mm -hmm. And again, thank you very much for inviting me. It has been a pleasure to uh, participating. <laughs> Good Thank luck. you very much. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Well, I think this has been a very productive conversation on what the CPIA is today and a nice overview of its chief criticisms. Yeah, I mean, clearly using a single index to selectively allocate the large pool of crucial aid comes with its issues. The selective nature of the index has been heavily criticized in the past for drawing aid away from the neediest country. At the same time, 
our conversation added depth to recommendations for improvement in regard to adding outcome indicators, providing for greater country specificity, changing some of the weighting away from somewhat flawed governance assessments, as well as changing the high weighting still provided to Washington consensus liberalization policies. Ultimately, you know, more aid is needed in more countries, which fixing the CPIA score alone will not resolve. But we did come across some kind of wider, some broad recommendations, um, you know, in our conversation today and how to improve the score, um, which we will briefly reflect upon now. But I guess it's worth noting that, you know, changes to the CPIA and aid allocation is really kind of an implicit, implicit statement on how one thinks development should work which is obviously a huge topic and beyond the scope of an individual podcast. But uh, we'll briefly try to touch upon, you know, some key points in reforming the CPIA. Um, you know, a major suggestion uh, made by Professor Thorbeck and Dr. Uyong in line with some of their research uh, on African development is that the CPIA score should reward um, countries um, that are pursuing kind of direct effectively pursuing kind of direct poverty reduction strategies, i.e. kind of kind of social protection protection schemes that, you know, directly alleviate poverty. And this is in line with their view um, that in Africa in particular, that poverty reduction today will lead to higher growth opportunities in the future. Um, you know, while we were not able to include everything from our interview uh, with our two guests, this recommendation was also in line with a kind of a degree of skepticism, degree of skepticism, and some pessimism um, towards the prospect of Africa, um, you know, achieving growth through the same means um, that was done by the East Asian economies, i.e., kind of low-cost labor, manufacturing-led growth. However, that is not to say that other academics um, think. Um, that is not to say that other um, academics think that the CPIA could be reformed in other ways. I think it's quite interesting that you mentioned that because um, you would be, um, you know, it would be potentially insightful to look at how other academics are um, more optimistic about growth-led poverty reduction, and this would cut to the core of development debates with authors like Hajun Chang and the so-called heterodox school of development economics, which has argued that development has become a little too focused on poverty reduction, on basic needs, individual betterment and too little focused on processes such as structural transformation. While the recommendations provided by Professor Thorbecker and Dr. Yuna are really strong, I think it would be quite interesting to see the place of structural transformation in a scoring like the CPIA, because as it stands now, the scoring does not award countries um, for policies that help their economies uh, move away from being based on um, primary production exploited by unskilled labor, um, and have um, managed to move those economies to being built on knowledge-based assets exploited by skilled labor. Um, and the literature seems to bring up this criticism of the CPA. For example, Julia Cage talks about the state and the quality of industrial policy as being needed to be taken into account by the CPA. In other words, to give countries that are pursuing effective industrial policy and effective structural, transform structural transformation policy more aid. But this is not to say that structural transformation in Africa must look like the East Asian model of the past. Structural transformation in Africa could look different. And for example, the CPIA could reward policies such as the industrialization of freshness in which African economies can use technology for high value crops 
and therefore access high value export markets in developed countries, which in the long run could lead or like at least ensure a trajectory towards more economic independence, more autonomy and potentially increased policy space. And, you know, I mean, these recommendations for including some element of industrial policy in the CPIA um, is not mutually exclusive of Professor Thorbeck and Dr. Uyang's recommendations of poverty alleviation. Um, uh, you know, other kind of heterodox development scholars like Tandika Mikandawire um, stress in particular the importance of transformative social policy in the sense that uh, poverty reduction and improvements in human capital are, are necessary parallel steps in structural transformation in which you kind of get the labor force necessary um, to kind of build uh, a modern uh, industrialized uh, labor economy. And um, I mean, just to sum it up on structural transformation, unfortunately, it does seem unlikely that the Bretton Woods institutions would support this type um, of policies, given how they have advised developing countries in the past. And this would be in regards to like free market reforms, for example. Yeah, and I think this really kind of concludes us well here and touching on kind of just the, the hegemonic nature uh, yeah. of the World Bank and the CPIA in development. And uh, well, I'll just touch on that briefly, but uh, this was another portion of our conversation we couldn't include, but Dr. Uyang pointed out very interestingly that the, the World Bank will tend to uh, vehemently defend their criteria, their CPIA criteria when criticized. Uh, particularly kind of empirically, given they kind of control the, the data sets and whatnot. And, you know, this is just another example of the importance of knowledge production and development in the sense that, you know, the Bretton Woods institutions kind of, in many ways, and many times kind of set, you know, research agendas, obviously, they're doing a lot of the policy setting. So in the sense that they kind of produce a lot of the knowledge on development, um, the CPIA may continue uh, to allocate and allocate aid in a, in a less than uh, perfectly effective fashion. And yeah, I mean, this again kind of highlights the difficulty of changing hegemonic institutions within development, um, but also shows the necessity of further scrutiny of the of these institutions, particularly the, the CPIA, which, you know, we believe doesn't really get as much attention as it should. And we hope that um, our conversation today uh, shed a bit more light uh, on this crucial development institution. Well, this has been another episode of Citing Africa. I'm Nick Muller. And I'm Yana Parichel. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>